0: You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 56. Today, I talk with Dr. Kathy Ma. She's a community orthopedic surgeon, and we talk about what it's like to be a community surgeon. There's definitely some advantages and there's some pitfalls too. And if you want to hear more about the Boss Business of Surgery series podcast, including the new podcast guide, then head to bosssurgery.com. Welcome surgeons. (laughs) Welcome back. I have a great guest today. So, Dr. Kathy Ma, she is an orthopedic surgeon up in Westchester, New York. And we got to talking about what it's like to be at a community hospital. And I think this is really important to know because most of us, our experience and training is going to be at these big academic centers. And a lot of people stay at big academic centers and don't know what it's like to be out in the community. And it's a lot different. And I know we, even before we started recording, um, our brief talk about how we're going to uh, talk about this show that there's so many misconceptions that we had going into this and also how everything has evolved. So I'm really excited about this episode because I think this is going to be really eye-opening for people both at the academic center and the community hospital. So Dr. Ma, welcome to the BOSS podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thank you so much, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, So my name is Kathy Ma and I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I specialize in the foot and ankle. Um, I've been out of uh, training now for a little bit over nine years, um, and when I left fellowship, I came back to the area I trained in, mostly because this is already a second career for me. Um, I was a physical therapist first, went back to med school, uh, residency, and then fellowship, and so I was already married. I was already older, and I was looking for a place that would suit uh my life. I had a I had a young baby. I think she was a year when I started as an attending. Um and just sort of trying to be in the community where I had been, where my husband could still get to work. And that's what really led my, my um my looking in terms of where do you end up? Um, I had trained in a trauma hospital, uh, very busy. Um and I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want that. And so I settled in a community where I was maybe 30 minutes away from that trauma hospital. So what I liked is I knew I wasn't going to get these crazy um, high-speed motor vehicle accidents. The the super bad stuff was going to bypass my hospital and go right to the medical center. And that was really comforting. And I also thought, because I had trained in the area, I knew all these doctors, I knew all these attendings, and I thought that that would make it for an easier transition. I know a lot of times when we're being trained and as residents, you know, sitting in this ivory tower, you kind of look down at everybody else and you look at, well, gosh, why can't these doctors who were trained just like I was trained, why can't they handle? X, Y, and Z, um, and so I had expected. You know, if I'm referring things to the tertiary care center, that they had known me, and if that there were questions, maybe they'd pick up the phone and call and ask, and there would be a dialogue. And I didn't really find that that happened. Um, there's a lot of overlap in the the practice I'm in. In terms of PAs that I knew during training will help some of my partners or they'll help me, you know, on weekends and stuff like that. So there's a lot lot of overlap and you would hear uh, things would get back to you. You know, if I had transferred something and they didn't think it was an appropriate transfer, nobody would ever call me and talk to me and ask me my rationale why I had transferred something. It was never a direct dialogue with me. Instead, it was like a lot of the whispering behind the back, saying, "Oh, you! I can't believe she did that. She should have done this." Or, I, you know, and there weren't those direct conversations. And any surgeon has a Type A personality. Um, I also have a people pleasing personality, and whenever there's a problem, it's just natural for me to think. What did i do wrong right so because of these earlier experiences when it came to building my practice everything that was foot and ankle i kept right all of these you know uh more complex fractures and things that probably should have gone to the tertiary care center i kept Um, things that then i couldn't take care of and i only learned this through experience there were certain cases where, yeah, I could do the surgery part, but in the community, I didn't have the other things that I needed. Once I was probably only in practice two years or so, this young, young girl, she was 11 years old, shows up in my office with this terrible infection in her foot And it had gone on and and it had been what we call an open fracture. Um, So the bone had been exposed to the outside world and she'd gone to urgent care and probably wasn't treated appropriately. So by the time she comes to me, she has this infection in her foot. And it was a night I worked late. I canceled my office hours and she was sent to the ER and I operated on her that night. And of course, I have to admit her for IV antibiotics. Now, the interesting thing at my hospital is that we don't have pediatric hospitalists. We don't have a big pediatric team. We have nurses who can take care of and we can we can admit pediatric patients. But then when it came time to getting the infectious disease um, doctor's opinion on long term treatment and things like that, I didn't have that. And thankfully, you know, this medical center, I reached out to a PEDS ID doctor and, and he was totally willing to walk me through and he gave me advice. And so I took care of a patient and, and she did well, but, you know, having that experience of, oh, wait, I can do my job, but there aren't other people to help do that job, help do everything else. And so then that changes how people are treated in the future. And that's where some of that backlash comes because people sit and maybe criticize or critique that you're not handling the orthopedic issues that they think that you can handle. And while I know I can handle the orthopedic issues, there are other obstacles that we have that I can't handle. It's not my fault that I don't, I have a 17 year old kid who might be six foot one and weigh 250 pounds, but legally the infectious disease doctor can't give me the treatment. He can't consult on this patient because he's not credentialed to take care of pediatrics. And so those are the little things that, you know, you know, you can't do something and you're being critiqued, um, by other people for not doing things that, made me almost reflexively hold on to more things than I necessarily wanted to in the beginning.
0: Then you have covered so many topics that I too have experienced, you know, being a a community general surgeon um, and also, you know, my experience in the military as well. And there's so many aspects of that that I just want to highlight, you know, and the first was just, you know, you staying in the area and knowing the people, you know, making the assumption that they're going to understand that you are not, you know, that they're going to know your intention. Um, And I know that we think, We know what our attention is, and we know what we're able to do, especially with experience. Um, You know, because we've done the exact things that you've done. Either we've sent someone up there and felt like got burned, or we held on to someone that we really knew that we could and should have sent because of all the resources that we know that we have. Um, And you know, the very first thing is the decision to send them in the first place and um, that's a difficult decision i think that you know the the backlash and the perception that we get and certainly on some phone calls is like well you're just dumping them and you know you you could do this and why aren't you doing this and you know i've actually had recently in fact uh, a phone call where i i called and and you know like profanities and saying you know you guys are being weak and you could handle this and you're going to mess up my day and not all the tertiary centers have to do all the operating and I hung up on him. <laughs> Good for you. I was like, you know, and I, and I sent him a text because I knew this person and I said this, that was uncalled for. Uh, and I mean, it, it's difficult, especially when you're new and you want to have this collaborative relationship with the um, academic center and the tertiary centers. And, you know, that is what helps us battle probably the biggest problem that we have in the community which is the sense of isolation. Um, And I think that I I knew that I wanted a bit of a challenge, but I really had no idea what it was like to have that challenge out in the community, because we really are stretching a lot of the resources, both our time and effort, uh, as well as the system. And I couldn't agree with you more that it's the system that we have to be aware of and what we're able to handle. And what were some of the experiences that you've had in, um, you know, exploring what you were able to be capable of doing? I know you mentioned the the credentialing issue of some of the consultants, but what are some of the other things that you've dealt with when it comes to, you know, understanding what the extent of your system is?
1: Well, you know, I I hate to say that medicine is trial and error because I think that people outside of medicine don't necessarily understand that aspect of it. Um, I'm lucky in that there's never been an instance where I've gotten burned because at least I have known the right people, um, you know, with foot and ankle surgery, uh, the blood supply to the foot and the ankle isn't the best. And so sometimes you're doing these trauma cases that you need soft tissue coverage for. And again, I'm in this community hospital and thankfully, um, they're, at the time was a great plastic surgeon who could do some of this. And so we were doing, he would do free flaps for me, which is fine. And it and and he was also based out of the, the medical center. Um and it, it's it's doable, but it, it's a lot harder because then you don't have necessarily the support staff when it comes to residents there. You're in attending, he's an attending and, and that's it. You don't have other people who are necessarily in the hospital all of the time. And while things are doable, maybe they're, they could be done easily, more easily elsewhere, right? It would be to the patient's benefit to be able to, hey, maybe be in an ICU sometimes for certain cases so that they can get the monitoring that they need, because like I said, in the community, I am 22 minutes away from the hospital. Um, and so when you're, you're in that situation and there's not that in, there's no in-house coverage, right? We're we're a community hospital. There's not an in-house general surgeon. There's vascular surgery who's further away than I am. There are all those little things that yes, we can take care of patients and we can do things but maybe it's just not the safest and the best and and looking at what can we what can we do there there are ways that you know that you're capable as a surgeon you know that you have capable colleagues but you can't be there 24/7 at the bedside waiting just in case
0: I completely agree. Um, And that's, I think was the defining moment for me too, is knowing that, yes, I can do this surgery. Um, I'm I'm capable of doing the surgery. And this happened at like probably about a year, maybe two years ago, um, a very, very challenging duodenal ulcer, um, both the location and the patient. And, you know, this is the time of COVID where we really couldn't transfer. um, And you know, I was just thinking, gosh, I mean, I could do this, but all the things afterwards and the limitations um, that we had and and being when you are like the limited resource, when we are the limited resource, I cannot be there 24 uh, seven. I'll actually not serve the community if I do that. And I learned a lot from the, the military where, um, you know, you have to think of the mission first. And, you know, having to get over the mindset of someone's going to, you know, throw stones, someone's going to have an attitude about it, someone's going to have some impression of us that we don't want them to have. Um, but if we hold on to them, we violate the mission, which is like the dozens of other people that are going to suffer if we have to, you know, give everything to this one person. So that, that decision to transfer is not an easy one.
1: Yeah, and And that's a great, perspective in terms of holding on to the mission. I think that as any healthcare provider, we want the best for the patients. And being able to let things go because it is the best thing for the patient is important. And we've we've been in that that situation. You know, I I happen to really like my partners. Um and they're I I'm the one who does the foot and ankle. I do probably 95% of the ankle fractures um, from my partners. And it's like, oh, they call you and 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 you have so many other things going on in your life. And hey, I'm not on call. I'm not around this weekend. You know, it but you're still ultimately you end up making those sacrifices for the patient because, like you said, like that's the mission, right? And it sometimes it goes against what you're trying to do to protect your boundaries, because ultimately that patient is more important than trying to make it to somehow just go see family for, for, for just a reason of seeing family. You know, um, I have two little girls. Um, They're now one of them. She'll be eight tomorrow and the other one's 10. And it's always been a, a balance because when they were little, I mean, and I I think a lot of surgeon moms will understand this. Sometimes you go 48 hours without seeing your child awake because you leave early in the morning and maybe you're on call. And and even if you aren't on call, you're getting home after bedtime sometimes. And so it was really hard um, when you're new trying to balance all that. And I remember having a conversation with my older daughter, and maybe she was five or six at the time, and just trying to explain that hey, sometimes there are people that are just more important than she is. Doesn't mean you love them any less, but there are patient situations that trump my family. And then there are times when my kids are sick and maybe I have a full day of office hours, but it's much more important that I'm home with my kids. And as as doctors and surgeons especially, we triage, you triage patients, but we also triage what's important in our lives. And sometimes that patient, that mission is much more important um, than our personal lives and, and transferring a patient because it's the, that patient care is better. Maybe it's inconveniencing that tertiary care center. And I get that because we're all tired, especially after COVID we've all been overworked. um, But we all still, I mean, if everybody could have that mentality that we are here for the patient, right? That is our ultimate goal is to provide the best quality care we can for the patient. And we all have to make little sacrifices to be able to do that. Absolutely. You know, I think that you especially hit um, something that's really difficult is,
0: you know, being in the community. A lot of us are choosing this because of, you know, to have uh, a little bit more family time or or our desire to be within the community. There's definitely a a desire to be a part of that. And we do become a part of the community and it can be very difficult to decide what are the boundaries between, you know, what are our family mission and the mission of the patient are um, is too. So, that can be a difficult balance, especially for even more rural folks where we really do have to to have such difficulty sending folks out. Um, now, I know in the times of COVID, um, it became very difficult to send to some of these tertiary centers. What was your experience in the time of having, or did you have any difficulty sending folks in the time of COVID?
1: So I have to say I didn't have any difficulty because we weren't getting the trauma and the things that needed to be sent, um, which is a a good thing in terms of the orthopedic aspect. People weren't getting hurt the way that they, they normally would have people really shut down. And, and that was interesting from just, you know, being in your practice and gosh, yeah, nobody's Nobody's getting hurt right now because nobody is doing any sports and people aren't going to work. And, you know, maybe people would do a little home projects um, and, and not necessarily do them safe- safely, but I didn't run into as much of that being a problem in terms of the orthopedic aspect because I just wasn't seeing those things that needed to be transferred.
0: That's great. Because, I mean, we're seeing that uh, a resurgence of this again, the back to the times of COVID where, I mean, it's always been very difficult to send to our tertiary center here um, that almost never had beds. And, you know, then that's happened to the rest of the hospital. It's been very interesting over the last few months that the tertiary centers have been referring to us. So I've taken care of complications from surgeries that they have done because they haven't had any beds, and you know we're getting calls from states around just like we did in times of COVID. It's it's been very strange, Um,
1: very strange. And you know it's nice to see the script flipped a little bit in that these other physicians now have to reach out for help and are reliant on. And and not everybody looks down at us on in the community, but. It's nice and hopefully it gives them a different perspective about the challenges we face and just trying to take care of patients.
0: Completely agree. Um, Now, what would have been some of the mind shift changes that you've had to make in this? Because I can imagine, you know, especially if you had this impression that things were going to go the way they were and they haven't, how are some of the ways that you could approach that?
1: Yeah, you know, and I look back at where my Career was, and then where it is now. And probably somewhere, maybe about three years ago, is where I started having this shift because you come out of your training and you're capable of doing all of these things. And again, I had hoped for a little bit more of understanding and mentorship that I didn't receive. And sort of as the you know the swing to the other side i thought well okay well i'll just i'll take care of everything that i know i can take care of and i did and there are certain things in orthopedics you know there are uh, bad intraarticular fractures fractures that go into the joint and these patients just do poorly and it doesn't matter if they're fixed by the best in the world the outcomes are just not, not where we want them to be. And it's always a little bit difficult as a surgeon to have your patients not do as perfect as you want, even though you, you can, you can sit there from before you ever pick up the scalpel and you know what the outcomes are going to be just based on the nature of the injury. And so I was doing some of these, these bigger trauma cases and they took a lot out of me. They took a lot in terms of long periods in the OR. And so at this point in my career, my my practice is busier. All the elective stuff, because again, I'm a community orthopedic surgeon. And so all of my elective schedule is now full. And then to add these traumas in these trauma patients and to add these more complex surgeries and try to fit them in, you're now operating late. You're operating till midnight sometimes because you don't get to start the case until six or seven o'clock at night. It's a five, six hour case sometimes. And you don't have those extra set of hands. I don't have residents. I, you know, will have a PA, but it, it's sometimes not the same. And so you take care of the patient, you do the best job that, you know, you felt that you were capable of, and then you're following them. And again, I know what the outcome is going to be. And there's a lot of that emotional, that, that, that I don't know how to describe it's, it's that nervousness of waiting, right? Like you're watching someone and they can be doing just fine clinically, but you know what the outcome is going to be. And so you're sitting there waiting for that outcome and it's the stress, of just saying, Oh my gosh, I know at some point that pain is going to start. And again, it, it, as surgeons, we all have egos, but ultimately, we we want that best for the patient. And even though you know it's going to happen, it still is something that was a lot for me to deal with. It was still that that you know that baggage of the sense of like, oh, they're not doing as well as I want them to be doing. And so, even though you get through the surgery, you're treating them everything's going just fine, but eventually, you know, that things won't be fine. And I started thinking about what is this, I don't want to say costing me, but and not do I need this, you know, but you start looking at what can I do to make my practice where I want my practice to be. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was hard. And so it's so funny to look back now a couple of years later to love where my practice is and to remember going through this stuff in my head. Okay. If I give up these cases, does that mean that I'm less than a surgeon? Cause you're trained to do these things. But, hey, I'm not doing them with such frequency because, again, I'm a community doctor. And so when these harder cases come in, I can do them and I'm capable of them. But if somebody is doing 20 of them a year and you're doing three of them a year, is it in the patient's better interest to go to the person who does them much more frequently? And so there's that mental aspect of coming to grips with the fact that maybe somebody can do something better than you and maybe it's okay that you don't do that. I don't, and again, in the moment you're thinking, am I less of a doctor? Am I less of a surgeon because I don't want this to be what my practice is, even though you're capable of it.
0: Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you hit so many important points in there that I felt myself as well, because the ver- the first decision we make is, yes, I can do it, but I won't. And that's hard because, you know, there's our egos involved. Now we're asking someone else to do it. And so there's the people pleasing aspect and the guilty aspect and the having to tell the patient. Um, but then the second part is this idea of, you know, Feeling less, then because we're basically saying I, I won't do it, and then if we decide that we're not going to do it, eventually we aren't going to be the best person to do that. So we are rightfully telling them, "I am not the best person to do that," which our ego does
1: not like at all. Right, <laughs> right, and that's that's hard for our ego egos. But again, it's kind of like your point that you made about the mission, like. Ultimately, we want to deliver the best possible care mm-hmm. to these patients.
0: Yes, I completely agree. When you keep the, the patient in focus, so then they can be like the what we aim for and their outcome could be what, what we aim for. And the hard part is watching that and knowing that it wasn't us that did this, but in some ways, by us making the decision to send them to the best place for them, that, you know, we sometimes overestimate our role in the process and you know i recently have had someone who had a pretty significant diagnosis that uh, we picked up on here and this in the community we pick up a lot of crazy stuff okay. um, and this particular person sent them immediately to um a a big center and our role was quickly forgotten and i'm i'm actually okay with all of that and that was an interesting evolution to see that, you know, I felt like I needed to have more of a role than I wanted to, but recognizing that, you know, now 12 years into this, that, you know, I, I don't actually have as big of a role as I think, and that's okay, that, you know, no one's actually gonna look at me and say, why didn't you do this?
1: <laughs> no, it, and, and like you said, that's okay. We don't need to be the superheroes. All the time. I think what you did, if you found it and you recognize it, and then the patient is sent to the appropriate place, you are the superhero. You don't have to be the one making the cut to still have a positive impact on the situation.
0: And a lot of that, I think, goes back to our training, you know, as residents, like we're, when we're on rotation, like we own that patient, every aspect of it, like we are their, you know, sort of primary care surgeons types, you know, like we're managing everything. And, you know, I think it's that ultimate ownership that makes us such good um, surgeons. However, like, you know, having to unravel what we think makes a good surgeon and, you know, starting to understand the nuances of our different roles, wherever we're at is, you know, definitely a, a mental shift that took some time to evolve.
1: Yeah. And, and it does, it takes time and it, it is, it's a mental shift. It's not that our minds are getting in our way, but it, they do, they do. Like you have to really put a lot of thought into why are you doing something? Why? Like as surgeons, one of the things I love, so when I went back to medical school, I actually wanted to be an internal medicine doctor, right? That's why I went back. I wanted to take care of sick people. And I did my surgery rotation and I loved it because at the end of the day, I could come home and be like, not me. I was holding a retractor, but (laughs) you'd be like, we cut out cancer today. We, we removed a tumor. We did something that will make an impact. And I think that that's the way that a surgeon's mind works is like, we, gosh, we did something at the end of the day, you sit down and you can say I did X, Y, and Z without having to wait for some of the results. Um, And so it's a little bit harder, like you said, when you're used to controlling every aspect and then that's gone, you just have to reset your mind and knowing that it's okay.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's definitely an evolution of that too, of, uh, you know, knowing that we can do everything, we don't have to do everything, and then going from there. um, A lot of times it has to do with, and again, I think I I look back at the military, I really saw this lesson. Um, For my second deployment, there was a guy who had a um, common iliac vein injury. I didn't know this at the time. It looked like it was on the X-ray, it looked like it was gonna be a right colon injury, something that was not a problem. So, and we don't have CT scans or anything like that. It's just X-ray and ultrasound. So it comes in relatively stable and, you know, make a decision, look at the right colon and it's pristine. The nut had actually like blown through the side. And um, because it was so hot when it went in, it basically lodged behind the common iliac vein, And basically, you know, sealed itself to it did not know this at the time. And this is in the middle of the desert in Afghanistan, and we had 20 units of blood and that that was it. I think we may have some platelets because leftover from when it was a bigger center, uh, because they kept sending us to until we told them to stop. But anyway, like we never know exactly what was coming either. Um, and that's the thing is that we would sometimes push things along that we could have done. And, and sometimes we're sitting around wishing we had done more. But then there was this event like this where even just getting to that and isolating the common iliac vein and um, and all the pelvic vein injuries that were from that, uh, you know, Eventually, we blew through eleven units of blood, just getting down to that. And you know, I can I made what can I only describe as a hesitation mark over the femoral um, the vein to reconstruct that. And I was like, "What the hell am I thinking?" And so, I packed him with quick and I sent him to the nearest place, which was Bastion, Art, um, the British hospital. And come to find out, I'm really glad that I did because, for one thing, they did fine, but they stretched their resources, a bigger center here too. I mean, it would have been a, an absolute disaster for all of us, for the patient, for the mission for anyone who could have come after us. Um, and so I think it was that lesson for sure, realizing that, you know, you cannot let your ego get in the way of the endpoint. Absolutely. Take us through a little bit about, um, what are your current challenges in the community hospital? Where do you still struggle?
1: You know, I, I have to say that to be honest, I don't know that I'm struggling now. Um, as I have change my practice and feel better about giving things away. I'm able to really do the things that I feel super comfortable with. Um, it it's hard. I mean, probably the biggest thing that has, um, had the most positive impact in my life in the last three years is that, you know, we opened up a surgery center, a bunch of just local surgeons. We decided to to open our own surgery center. And as we've been able to do more and more there in some of the um, uh, some of the barriers to care in terms of, you know, insurance plans and cost of implants and, and things like that in terms of being able to focus my practice more in an outpatient surgery center. Over time, we've been able to meet those. And so that struggle that I had in terms of my practice and operating out of a a particular hospital has really been uh, relieved with having a surgery center where I do probably 90% of my cases. So COVID is a terrible, terrible thing that has had a lot of different challenges, but it's also been very beneficial in, in some ways. So, um, the things that I do do, I do some more complex reconstructive type of cases and I do fusions of ankles and the midfoot. And these were things that people would traditionally spend the night in the hospital for, or sometimes go to rehab for. And so in the post COVID world, people don't want to be in hospitals, They don't want to have to go to a rehab center. And so what I've done is kind of switched the thinking to, okay, well, we can do it in the hospital. You could go to a rehab center, or we can be more proactive about, you know, making sure that you're getting physical therapy, making sure that you have the things that you're going to need at home so that I can do these things on an outpatient basis. And people have really liked that and they prefer it. And so I have been able to, shift away from being in the hospital setting and doing most of my things at the surgery center, which has freed up so much of my life. The turnover is faster. The efficiency is just much different than the current hospital where I do most of, um, if I'm going to do uh, surgery at, um, it, it's different. And so that's why, you know, thinking about, about this call, co- this talk and how, i really switched my practice to be what i want i can look back and know that those challenges that i initially faced in terms of even my mindset and switching my mindset to pass on certain cases i've been able to really create a practice that i like i am busy i do a lot of more elective stuff than before. And I'm able to have a little bit more of that balance. Um, so I'm happy with that. I, I operated at the hospital Friday um, and I just, I'm not there as much. Um, but in terms of the community hospital now, there are staffing issues, right? There are, when you're taking call and you're getting called to the ER, you know, maybe it's a hip fracture or something like that, you know, these poor patients are laying in the ER for a day or two because there aren't beds. Um, the OR doesn't have the staff that it needs, um, but I don't think that that's anything that's unique to the community hospital anymore. Um, and so, yeah, when I was doing more cases at the hospital, I mean, I was talking to my husband about this earlier. Fridays were my main um, OR day and it what, I wasn't expected to be home before 10 o'clock at night, like just... The joke in the room and with my PA was, well, of course, you never make any plans on a Friday night because we're still going to be operating. Um, And for me, being able to just sort of switch the way that my practice works, um, I don't do that anymore. I've found a place that's more efficient and I'm home by five o'clock on a Friday. Like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like there's this extra day in the weekend because you can get home and eat dinner with your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and have a Friday night. Uh, it's, it's really been a, a great thing in terms of, I'm glad I went through those struggles with figuring out my mindset, because ultimately I've created more of a practice and more of that life balance that I wanted as the community surgeon.
0: <laughs> I think that's such a great point. And I just did this Friday, by the way, like I had so much um, on my elective schedule because My OR, um, I know them well. They, I mean, when they are on fire, they are on fire. I mean, I've like booked more stuff in a day than like I would ever imagine in so many other places that I've worked at before. But they can do it. Yeah. Um, And you know, so that the beautiful thing about the community hospitals, you get to know them. You get to know their strengths. They know you. um, Everything works really well. Um, And then you come up with the biggest limitation of your um, uh, boundaries at work and home. (laughs) is you were the one that violates them. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that they will they will do whatever we ask them to do, but it's usually that we have to kind of overcome our mindset of, you know, setting the limitations. And the limitations come from all things, you know, disappointing patients, the the stress of, of money, you know, the feeling like we have to do all the things for all the people. And, you know, the ability to establish boundaries is something, a skill set that you must have as a community surgeon, because otherwise your practice and your family will be overrun.
1: Yeah. And you know, I I think having those boundaries in terms of, hey, I'm not going to do this case because I think it can be done better elsewhere. I think that it will take more more time. It'll 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 take from it takes from a pot where there's nothing left in that pot, to be Mm -hmm. honest, right? Like thinking about okay, when am I gonna do this? I'm gonna start a complex case at six o'clock at night. Like it, maybe that's not the safest thing for the patient, and yeah, I mean we've all been there. Like you disappoint your kids, you disappoint your family, um, and as we get older and wiser, you know, you learn that it's okay to disappoint certain people. And going back to that thought on, you know, I triage everything. I I, I triage patients. I triage family events. I triage you know things to do with the kids, like you, you have to make a list of what is the most important thing in this moment? Where am I needed the most? And it's hard because, um, you're always disappointing somebody. Um, I think of life as kind of these five different categories. There is, um, you know, for me, it's my job and then it's my husband and it's my kids. And then it's my friends and then it's me. And I've kind of come to grips with, I can only be really good at at satisfying two of those things at a time. And so whether it's work and my kids, or whether, you know, my husband and I are trying to have a date night and the kids are like, why do we have a babysitter? Well, it's more important that I go out with my husband. And so it's, it's figuring out that you can't be perfect at everything at the same time. And it's okay to let, certain things go. And then there are times when I say to my husband and kids, like, sorry, I'm going out with my friends tonight. You know, I I need that me time or I'm sorry, kids, you're on your iPads because I have to go exercise. I have to go figure out what I need. And I think as we get older, we get a little bit better about setting boundaries, but also like expressing what our needs are to be the best person at your job, in your marriage, with your relationship, with friends and and being a parent, you know, you still have to make sure that your cup is full. And so lately I'm just working on being able to say, this is what I need. Setting boundaries with patients, setting boundaries with uh, staff, setting boundaries with friends. It's about making sure that you feel energized enough, charged enough that you can still make sure that you get everything that you need to do, done, even though it might not be to the, you know, it's not going to be perfect all the time. And the people who love you, they're on this journey with you for so long that they just learn to understand it and they accept you for it. And that's really one of the nice things that I'm learning as I get older, you're accepted for it. I
0: agree. And, you know, I think the main key to success, um, especially in this particular scenario, is our ability to sit and manage negative emotions. The idea of disappointing people of, you know, feeling like we're can't do it all, um, that the ability to be able to sit with that and be okay with it and know that it's going to pass is really what's going to allow us to continue.
1: Absolutely. Because it's a long haul. It's exhausting. Um, our jobs are 24, seven jobs. I, you know, I would imagine, and this is probably different, I think, for community surgeons than for surgeons at tertiary care centers. I'm bothered on the weekends all the time. If if I happen to have a patient in house, the nurses all have my cell phone, so they're not necessarily reaching out to the person who is on call. They're just contacting me directly because you have that relationship, you know. And with what I do in particular, foot and ankle you know, it also crosses over into some of that diabetic foot stuff and these infections. And so while there are some podiatrists that are at my hospital, I'm the only foot and ankle surgeon. Um, And so I get these phone calls. (laughs) I was in Africa on vacation this year and I'm getting like a text message. Hey, can you come see this patient? And it's like, sorry, I'm out of the country. Like, you know, sometimes it's frustrating because you're like, I just don't want to be bothered when I'm not working. But then you appreciate that people want you to be the one involved. Um, and so figuring out that aspect of it and figuring out to be able to say, listen, I'm more than happy to help, but it's Monday, is the patient stable? Because I cannot make it to see the patient until Wednesday. And and, and being and they're like, yeah, everything's fine. We'll see you Wednesday. And that's good to be able to know what you can do when you can't do. And if that's not good enough for you, that's all I have to offer. So if the patient's unstable, you can try and call somebody else, or you can have the patient sent somewhere else.
0: Yes. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And that is like such a uh, difficult thing. You know, a lot of times we get bothered by people calling us, but you nailed it too because there's a part of us that wants to be called.
1: There is. There is. I want to be your first choice. Yeah. Um, and the, the same way, I mean, with with patients, and um, gosh my nurse makes fun of me because my office is always overbooked and then I'll get a cancellation and I'll be like, Oh, what's wrong? Is there a bad review online? You know, what is it? And, and she's like, you're still overbooked. It's okay. And I'm like, okay, you're right. But automatically my mind will go, like you said, my mind goes to those negative thoughts and it's like, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just, you, you just need to, to know that like, this is, it, it's not necessarily you, like it, it's okay to not, I, I, I'm sorry, maybe we should stop that. This just sounds like rambling, but um, <laughs> it's, well, I know it, it's hard to articulate it until you like, really like the light
0: bulb goes off because yes. the light bulb goes off and you're like, the reason they are calling is because we are letting them call. And the reason we're letting them call is that we want them to call because just like you said, we want to be the one to get the dopamine rush of fixing it. And that is the main flaw um, in us not making boundaries is knowing we're gonna disappoint something. We're avoiding the disappointment and we're getting the dopamine rush of being the hero. And until you understand that that's what we're doing, you will continue to do it. You continue to avoid disappointment and get those dopamine hits and burn yourself out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and it is so important, like you said, to to know those boundaries, to avoid the burnout. I remember when I was, was new in practice and and like I said, I was that person who I operated late at night. I would be in the office and see patients and then go to the OR at six o'clock at night to try and do these things. And my partners would look at me and just sort of shake their head and say, it's not going to last. And now I'm at that point where I realized that is not sustainable. And so I tweak my office hours. My nurse looks at my schedule kind of going forward and you know, uh, I operate two days a week, some weeks and other days, it's only one day a week. And so she'll go through. And instead of being that last minute counselor, because now there's this urgent case that needs to be, be done. I now have blocks in my schedule that we're saving specifically for the overflow um, cases that need to be done. And I'm not operating at night anymore. And let me tell you, sleep is amazing. Mm-hmm. Seeing my kids is amazing. Having time for myself and my friends and my husband, That is amazing. And it takes time to learn that. Um, And I think we aren't taught that in residency, for sure. Um, But learning that and just anybody out there listening to know that, hey, it is okay to set these boundaries. You don't have to be that hero every day.
0: Yes. And a lot of times, especially if we're busy and especially if we've kind of created this hustle culture for ourselves, the ability to kind of create these white spaces and these, you know, spare moments in time, a lot of times we might sit and pause and have a, a a break. And especially if we've not had them, it's very hard to overcome the mental thing of you have that space now to think about how you're disappointing other people. <laughs>
1: right, right. That's true. <laughs> and that so is <laughs>
0: That white space, that space in our schedule that we create is not going to help us until we know how to manage the disappointment that we feel of letting somebody down. And because to get that space, just like you said, you're only going to make two people happy at once or two of those uh, five things happy at once, which means that by definition, creating white space is creating disappointment. And until we can figure out how to manage disappointment, those free times, we're never going to seek them out.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: So, one last thing, what would you advise someone who is an academic surgeon now about managing or talking to a community surgeon?
1: I think the key would be to actually talk to the surgeon. Um, I think you can't make assumptions in terms of is this patient being transferred because the community surgeon is lazy or it's bad insurance Or it's, you know, we're just trying to dump because it's going to interfere with my tea time or my spa appointment. I think having that conversation one-to-one, you know, recently I had a a patient I was trying to transfer and the surgeon wouldn't accept it. And, And finally, you know, I got him on the phone and I said, look, I do not do this case. Okay. It's, it's a, you know, periprosthetic fracture. I don't do that my one partner who could kind of do it in my group is out of town for a week. Like, the, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry that your cup is full, but it's just not possible to do it. And so I think making sure that you're reaching out and talking to the community surgeon to just have the honest conversation about why is this is being transferred. Um, And not making the assumption it's because we're lazy or we just don't want to do it is probably the biggest thing. I think that a lot of times academic centers, and, and you don't know it, if that is the only place that you've been exposed to, right? That's what you have when you're training. And so if you go right out of training to work in an academic center, you don't understand the limitations that are still there in the community setting. And so maybe have an open mind. And again, just reach out and talk to the surgeon.
0: I agree. And, you know, one thing that we haven't covered, the um, last thing that I'll think of is that um, we don't actually know all the layers between us and the academic surgeon too, is, you know, a lot of times we're getting the no from an administrative perspective or something like that too, where, um, because sometimes they're actually really surprised. Like I never heard about that patient you called about. Um, there's actually several, you know, um, administrative levels between us and someone else. And I think, you know, for us to take the responsibility of finding these contacts at the hospital so we could text them. I mean, I've like resolved so many things by just texting someone up there and saying, hey, can you just have a moment, you know, and they bypass a lot of the administrative blocks that don't understand what we're really up against. And, you know, in times of COVID, when it was really, really challenging, um, I really leaned on that too. Um, And then also having big groups um, of, you know, does anyone have a contact here um, is really the, just like you said, the, the more we can get direct one-to-one talks, the more we're both going to understand the perspectives um, on either side. So I think that that's uh, a really great way to um, wrap up. This is, is really gets down to, you know, the patient as a focus, understanding our mission and just talking to people seems pretty simple when you think about it.
1: It is just as easy as that.
0: All right. Perfect. Well, all right, Dr. Ma, it was so great talking to you. I really appreciate your time. And uh, any last words for anyone who's interested in being a community surgeon?
1: I think that it's okay to be a community surgeon. Um, we don't have to be the person who is writing the most papers or speaking on all the big podiums or having your name out there in lights. There's nothing wrong with appreciating the joy that you can have operating and fixing things and making patients better. And for me, it's taken a few years, but I know that that's enough. And that's what I need to to make me happy. And, And we don't have to have these grandiose plans for our careers. We can just do what we wanna do, keep it at that community level and we're still, serving this great population and this, this need that's out there. And it's okay to feel like that's enough because it's more than enough.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. What a, what a great sentiment. That is like the perfect, um, summation of what it's like to be a community surgeon. Thanks. Learn more about the boss business of surgery series at bosssurgery.com.